KPFA will host a reception on Sunday, May 21st, 5.45 p.m. at Project Arto Theater. The reception is free to ticket holders to the Sunday performances. For more information, visit sfiaf.org or phone 415-647-2822. Co-sponsored by KPFA. It's 94.1 KBFA, 89.3 FM KBFB, both in Berkeley, and 88.1 KFCF in Fresno. And online, it's www.kpfa.org. And good afternoon and welcome to Cover to Cover Open Book. Today we bring you a special commemoration of the anniversary of Malcolm X's birthday. Born May 19th, the year 1925, in Omaha, Nebraska, he would be 81 years old today. As you know, we're closing our second week of our spring fun drive, and in the spirit of free speech and the spirit of free flow of ideas, we bring you a debate between Malcolm X, LaVarne McCummins, a Southern civil rights activist, and renowned author and activist James Baldwin about black Muslims versus the sit-in movement. This debate took place in WBAI Studios back in 1961. So stay with us as we bring you Black Muslims versus the Sit-ins. For many American Negroes, the Sit-in movement has become a rallying point in the struggle for full equality. And yet there is as well a significantly large number of American Negroes, the Muslims, who have objected strenuously to the Sit-ins. In view of this, Mr. Malcolm... I would like to ask you, what is it precisely that the Muslims object to about the sit-in movement? Uh, yes, Mr. Donald, and first I would like to say that I'm speaking uh, not for myself, but as a follower and helper and representative of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, who is the spiritual head of the fastest-growing group, religious group, of black people here in the Western Hemisphere. and. When we give our views, we don't give them as a civic group, we don't give them as political group, but we give them primarily as a religious group. And any solution that we set forth, we absolutely feel that it's a religious solution rather than a political solution. One of the, one of the reasons that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, uh, in teaching us here in America, uh, is giving us a solution that differs drastically from the sit-in movement. He's trying to make us men. Now, the, the very fact that you find students all over the world today are standing up for their rights and fighting for their rights. But here in America, the so-called Negro students have allowed themselves to be maneuvered under a tag uh, of sit-in. Uh, the word sit itself is not an honorable tag. Anybody can sit. A coward can sit. A baby can sit. Anything can sit. But it takes a man to stand. And when they attach this sit-in term or title to this movement, it, it stigmatizes it, in my opinion. Is this the passivity of it that you object? Well, the name describes its nature. It's a passive thing. Also, we we feel that to try and sit down in another man's restaurant to drink a cup of coffee is insane. If I were in the South and a Southerner didn't want me to eat in his restaurant and I forced my way in and then let him go back in his kitchen and prepare some coffee for me to drink, I'd consider myself insane to drink it. We don't think that that's the solution. We feel that rather than to force our way into someone else's 
restaurant or a public place that they have established that we should get our own. Once we have our own, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there. Thirdly, we feel that the sit-in movement actually represents a new Negro in the sense that it represents dissatisfaction. It shows that the new generation here in America of black students have lost the fear of the white man that our parents had. Twenty years ago, the average so-called Negro, if he was dissatisfied with something, the degree of dissatisfaction that he would show would be tempered or controlled by his concern as to what the white man's attitude would be if he showed that he didn't like it. And the sit-in movement, the good part of the sit-in movement, in my opinion, represents the fact that there is a new generation of so-called Negroes who are dissatisfied. And the fact that they will go into these places shows that they differ from their parents in that they have lost fear of that obstacle that their parents feared. Now, I think that the white man realized when the sit-in movement first started that it, that, uh, it was a dangerous thing. And my, in my opinion, the way he has uh, captured it and controls it right to this day, he put the same leaders that formerly had kept the Negroes walking along a patient, passive road uh, were jockeyed into a position where now they are the advisors to these students. They're, and in, and in uh, being accepted by the students as advisors, the student sit-in movement, in my opinion, has lost its militancy to the degree that it has accepted advice of these preachers and uh, politicians who usually are for their own personal benefit rather than for the masses of black people on the whole. And I would like to say in conclusion on that point that if a man is going to have his tooth pulled, the pain that he receives from the extraction will make him uh, manifest a violent reaction. Pain automatically makes a person resist or put up some form of uh, action to defend himself from that which is causing him pain. But in order for the dentist to be able to handle the patient, he puts Novocaine uh, in the dent in the patient's jaw. And though he's still is extracting the tooth, this Novocaine makes the uh, patient think that uh, nothing is being done to him. And I think that uh, the students, the student sit-in movement, shows that the black people here in America finally became so uh, overburdened with pain that they were about to display some violent reaction to all of these injustices. And to keep this down, I think that the uh, powers that be maneuvered these uh, Negro preachers and other politicians into a position to advise these students. And it was just like injecting Novocaine into them. And their militancy today, again I say, is displayed according to the degree of, of advice they accept from the older leaders. Would you agree that their goal is a worthwhile one? If, if their goal is uh, integration, it's not a worthwhile one. But if their goal is freedom, justice, and equality, then that's a worthwhile goal. If integration is going to give the black people in America complete freedom, complete justice, and complete equality, then it's a worthwhile goal. But if uh, this this word that they've invented, integration, and as I mentioned, the, the Novocaine that is put into the de uh, patient's jaw, in this sense, it would be integration. Just the holding this integration uh, uh, bottle, dangling it in front of the Negroes in America today, has actually uh, disabled them, or it has uh, nullified their ability to stand up and fight like a man 
for something that is theirs by right, rather than to just sit around and beg and wait for the white man to make up his mind that they're worthy to have this type thing. I think that this is, in my opinion, why we disagree with the uh, sit-in movement. If uh, they are willing to wait for another hundred years for the white man to change his mind, to accept them as a human being, then they're wrong. Uh, but if they're willing to lay down their life tonight or in the morning in order that we can have what is ours by right tonight or in the morning, then it's a good movement. But as long as they're willing to wait for the white man to make up his mind that they are qualified to be respected as human beings, then I'm afraid that all of their waiting and their planning is for naught. As Thurgood Marshall said on New Year's Eve, the Supreme Court brought about the desegregation decision, I think, uh, six or seven years ago, and there is only 6% desegregation in America right now. We don't call two students, black students, going to the University of Georgia integration, nor do we call uh, four children, black children, going to school in New Orleans integration, nor do we call a handful of black students going to school in Little Rock integration. If every black man in the state of Arkansas can't go to any school he want, that's not integration. And if every black child in the state of Louisiana cannot go to any school that they are qualified for in the morning, then that's not integration. And likewise with Georgia and any other state in America. It's no integration with us until the entire thing is given, is laid on the table, not a hundred years from now, but in the morning. And at the rate that the NAACP, CORE, and the Urban League is willing to accept the change of attitude in the white man's mind, we who are Muslims feel we'll be sitting around here in America for another thousand years, not waiting for civil rights or something like that, but even waiting to be granted the rights of a human being. A great many words have been floating around, have been floating around this table, which need to be redefined. And that, by the way, is the problem I think which facing this entire country. Now, I don't agree with Mr. X about the sit-in movement, and I do know something about the war, the incipient war between the students and some of the leaders. I know the gap, the enormous gap between the NAACP and the children in the South. I don't agree that the sit-in, you know, I don't agree that it is necessarily passive. I think it demands a tremendous amount of power both in one's, in one's personal life and, and, and in terms of political or polemical activity, sometimes to, to, to sit down and do nothing or seem to do nothing. But finally, I think what we have to argue about here is what I don't quite know any longer, what this word integration is supposed to mean. Now, if, if I thought the student movement were involved with some, some desire to be served a cup of coffee by a white man because he was a white man, I, personally, I have to put it this way now, there are great many people um, whom I'm not prepared to accept as my equal. You know, some of them are white and some of them are black. And from my point of view, integration in terms of being raised to the level of an illiterate Mississippi cracker is not integration at all. My, it seems to me the hope of this country and the role the Negro can play in it is to raise these people to a level they've not yet achieved. I think we're arguing about uh, the question here. When the, when the sit-in movement started, or when a great many things started in, this, in, the, in the Western world, it was not, I don't think, I think it had a great deal less to do with equality than it had to do with power. And I do think we have to talk about, we have to decide what we want, you know. Now, what has happened in the world in relation to black people is not the white people have suddenly changed or become more, uh, more conscious of, of a black man's humanity. It is, what has happened is very simple. This is the white power has been broken. And, and this means, among other things, that it is no longer possible for an Englishman to describe an African and make the African believe it. It is no longer possible for a white man in this country to tell a Negro who he is and make the Negro believe this. 
the controlling image is absolutely gone. Now, it seems to me the responsibility which faces us then, the question which faces us, which faces me in any case, is since there is a distinction between power and equality, there is a distinction between power and freedom. And I know that in terms, for example, of, of Africa, that an African nation cannot expect to be respected unless it is free. I know that it, unless, it is, unless it has its political destiny in its own hands, which is what we mean by power, there is no hope that the English will deal with an African nation on... They will deal with an African nation as a, sub, as a subjugated nation as long as it is in fact subjugated. That is not quite the same situation that we face here in America as American Negroes. It is not, in my mind yet anyway, conceivable. Uh, I can see that I might very well, for one reason or another, leave this country tomorrow and never come back. But this will not make me, this will not cease, I will not cease to be an American Negro for this reason. And the history of our, our history in this country is something that I think we have to face especially since we're demanding that white people face it. And whether I like it or not, whether you like it or not, this issue about integration is a, is a false issue because we have been integrated here ever since we got here. I am no longer a pure African. There are no pure Africans in this country. The history which has produced us is something which in any case we're going to have to deal with one of these days. Now, I think it is a mistake. I think it is a mistake to, to pretend this issue did not happen. What we're arguing about, I think, one of the things, in any case, I think I would be arguing about is the effect of this on the Negro world and the great divisions in it so that, so that it does, in fact, range from people who imagine they are white, you know, who never talk to Negroes, to people who imagine that if they can make a buck, they will somehow beat the system, to homeless and, and demoralized black boys and girls who, have nowhere to, who don't know where to go. The issue... It seems to me the reason that the city movement is important, the reason this whole ferment is of such importance, is not that I want anybody's cup of coffee, or even to go, particularly to anybody's school. It is because the country cannot afford, the country cannot afford to have, as it has at this moment, millions of black boys and girls in various ghettos all over the country, either perishing literally, or perishing, I must say, finally with bitter, the kind of demoral, demoralization and bitterness and hatred which can, after all, blow this country wide apart. The importance, in my mind, of the Muslim movement, in conclusion, is that it is the first time, I think, in the history of this country that uh, a Negro audience, a, a, a Negro laborer, a Negro, a Negro schoolboy, has heard his own condition described in, without anybody trying to flinch from it. It is very different from hearing a speech by Roy Wilkins, in which, you know, um, one is told in one way or another, that tomorrow will be better. Uh, and I think this has a tremendous effect. This is the reason the Muslim, I think the Muslim speaker has so much power over his audience. It comes out of a failure in the Republic. This country has lied about the Negro situation for 100 years. And now that what has happened is that the lies are no longer viable, can no longer, be, can no longer be accepted even when they can be told. And the country has waited so long that it does not know how to handle this and has created a moral vacuum. There's a moral vacuum in the, in the Negro ghettos in the same way there's a moral vacuum in New Orleans, which is filled with desperate people. Now the voice of James Baldwin speaking with Malcolm X. It's a debate, and it's on black Muslims versus the sit-in movement. It was originally broadcast on WBAI on April 25th, 1961, and it's a part of a, 
a special tribute to Malcolm X that we're bringing you here on Cover to Cover, and it's a part of our Spring Fun Drive. If you're interested in taking this home as a premium, you can call right now. The phone lines are open at 510-848-5732 or 1-800-439-5732. We now go back to the debate with Malcolm X and James Baldwin. If anyone in the country has any sense of what freedom is, Negroes do. I don't believe, I really don't at the bottom of my heart believe that the country does any longer. I don't think that the people who are sitting now in Washington, the people who are responsible for our conduct in the world, really believe in the things they say they believe. If they did, they would not be so panic-stricken. And they would not give our enemies, that is the nation's enemies, the capital they give them. The panic caused by what we call the Cold War. And the cult in this country of ignorance has made it impossible, for example, very nearly impossible, for a respectable anti-communist to say a word. I know what a communist is. I would know one if one bit me. I am convinced that no one in the John Birch Society knows or cares. Now, I, the safety of this country will not be achieved by dropping leaflets over Africa, and I've seen some of these leaflets, informing the Africans of the crimes of the Kremlin. The safety of this country can only be achieved in one way, and it is a great question. Do we believe it or do we not? And the only way the country can prove it is to answer this question. Answer it for themselves, not for me, because I know. Am I a man or not? And if the answer is no, it is not the Negro who loses. It is the country that loses. There's one thing that can be said, I think, for almost every Negro in the country, which is that it is impossible to disappoint him anymore. Any Negro who has survived to the age of 20 knows what to expect. Now, what I would like to undercut is a necessity which is created, as I say, by the, by the moral failure of the country. For Negroes to band together, not as men, but as Negroes, and in opposition to the rest of the society. It seems to me, as Malcolm X has said somewhere, the United States has everything else it wants to do, that are we so, conf- so convinced that Cuba must be free, that we're willing to send, to, to back an invasion, to bring freedom to the Cubans, then it seems to me that we can certainly do something about Birmingham and Mississippi. I do not believe, and I don't think any Negro believes, that we are helpless here. I do believe with Thurgood Marshall, that the school boards have not been honest, the governments have not been honest, they have not intended to see, the, to see integration come about, and have done everything they could to prevent it. Now, if, if one could turn the tide, if one could really elicit from Washington a clear statement and, and, and arrive at clear action, if someone would tell the governor of Alabama and the governor of Mississippi, if someone would throw him in jail, for un-American activities. Then the future of this country will become much brighter than it is right now. When you have a man like Eastland throwing people who have challenged the House Un-American Committee, Un-American Activities Committee in jail, whereas a man like Welch and an entity like Goldwater have this incredible influence, all, which is increasing all the time, it means that the country is acting out what it really does believe. If we really believed what we said we believed, we would be doing something we are not doing. Now, this gap, this failure on the part of the American Republic is creating the most savage and most dangerous opportunities for people all over the world. 
There is no reason for anyone in Cuba or anywhere in Latin America to believe that we know what we mean by freedom or have any intention of honoring that, of honoring that word. No reason for anyone in Africa to believe it. And they don't believe it no matter what our rhetoric says. They, they judge us by performance. Now, it is perfectly conceivable to me, this may sound very far-fetched, the way the white people are doing on this continent, because this is a continent, including Canada, America, and all the rest of Latin America, is simply isolating themselves out of a world which is no longer white and where, the, and where power is no longer in white hands. I'm concerned. You're listening to James Baldwin in a debate talking with Malcolm X, LeVarne McCollins. Back in 1961, it was recorded in studios of WBAI, where you hear them talking about the black Muslims versus the sit-in movement. And it's an interesting, very interesting discussion that we're able to offer you many thanks to the Pacifica archives and that the, the work that Pacifica and KPFA have done in the past, as you see, this is... Your offering today here on Cover to Cover Open Book, we're, we're very happy that we're able to offer this to you as a thank you gift as we close our second week of our spring fund drive. We have fallen a little short. We brought you the hearings yesterday of Michael Hayden uh, to direct the CIA, and we knew that it was we were going to take a hit, but we knew that this is what we have to do. We have to do it because we have to continue with our responsibility of bringing you the debates, bringing you the information that we do that's part of our legacy and that's part of the reason why we are we continue to be listener sponsored. You can call right now and support KPFA, support the free flow of ideas if you call right now 1-800-439 5732 or if you're in the 510 area code you can call 848 5732 I'm Amelia Gonzalez I'm the the director of arts humanities and uh, public affairs and I'm here with William Walker Nick Alexander's at the controls and we're hoping that you call in in the next few minutes and support KPFA and support the voices such as Malcolm X on his birthday he would be 81 years old today and we're trying to commemorate that day commemorate our our heroes their thinking during that time would move them so that we learn from history that we don't forget the history that is not in the books in our schools unfortunately we have to take it upon ourselves to remember the lessons learned we have to take it upon ourselves to stay informed and we're hoping that you believe that that's important too you can show us that you believe in that if you step up and go to the phone now 848-5732 or 1-800-439-5732 I had the privilege of being able to read Malcolm X's autobiography as a, a young child and was really a light that that shined on a lot of the the activism that you know I took a part in and I definitely I mean there are a number of schools that have taken the day off today here in the East Bay for Malcolm X's birthday and I feel that the the documentary the debate that we just heard is something that it really is a it's a a gift that you can give to someone that's definitely going to enlighten them on the movement these are struggles 
issues around um, where the black Muslims are, um, issues around where the civil rights movement is even today with a lot of the different demonstrations that have been going around around immigration and whether we take a pacifist route or if we you know, claim that this is our land. This is a debate that's going on today in right, 2006. Right. You know, William, they talk about New Orleans. They talk about the segregation taking place in the state of Louisiana. And it's no wonder that years later, decades later, we have the situation that Katrina really showed to the world in terms of the inequities in a place such as New Orleans. And this is something that is continued to be a topic of discussion here at KPFA. And you could see the roots of the situations that we have present in 2006. You could see the roots of that prior to 1961. You could hear the, the conversation of these two luminaries talking about having difference of ideas and uh, actually exploring those ideas on KPFA, I mean, I'm on Pacifica, but Pacifica's radio, uh, KPFA's sister station, WBAI, and that's what we're about. 1-800-439-5732-848-5732 are the numbers that you could call. If you're listening to us online, hit the support link. Or if you want to do this through your uh, computer, you can uh, hit www.kpfa.org and support us very securely that way. However you would like to do it, as a thank you gift, we're able to offer you the CD. It's more than an hour of Malcolm X, as we said, speaking with LaVarn McCullums and James Baldwin, talking about the role of black Muslims versus the role of the sit-in movement. And this is yours for $60. That is $5 a month if you sustain us, if you uh, Join the sustainer program here at KPFA. It is $5 a month. Yours for the asking. We also have Malcolm X, the ballot or the bullet, his stirring speech that he gave in the Audubon um, Auditorium in Harlem. And that's, that was recorded in 1964. That's March 29th, 1964. We have played this before. I'm going to play a tiny little piece. But right now we need people to go to the phone and pledge your support. You get your option of either seat for $60, or you can get both for $100. $100 is $8.33 through our sustainer program. I was in Washington a couple weeks ago while the senators were filibustering, and I noticed in the back of the Senate a huge map. And on this map, it showed the distribution of Negroes in America. And surprisingly, the same senators that were involved in the filibuster were from the states where there were the most Negroes. Why were they filibustering the civil rights legislation? Because the civil rights legislation is supposed to guarantee voting rights to Negroes in those states. And those senators from those states know that if the Negroes in those states can vote, those senators are down the drain. The representatives of those states go down the drain. And in the Constitution of this country, it has a stipulation wherein whenever the rights, the voting rights of people in a certain district are violated, then the representative who is from that particular district, according to the Constitution, is supposed to be expelled from the Congress. Now, if this particular aspect of the Constitution was enforced, why, you wouldn't have a cracker in Washington, D.C. One eight hundred four three nine five seven three two or eight four eight 
5732. You just heard Malcolm X in a little cut that we brought you from his speech, his stirring speech that he gave back in March 29, 1964 at the Audubon Ballroom in Harlem. Ironically enough, that's the same place that he was assassinated years later. But this is a stirring speech that talks about our role in the uh, ballads or really taking up the fight. And he's also talking about the disenfranchisement of so many African Americans and now here we are 2006 and we continue to talk about that does does it ring familiar with Florida and Ohio and all the the what has happened in our uh, our recent elections yes it holds true today unfortunately many young men of color brown black continue to be disenfranchised and we need to do something about that it still rings true today we're marking Malcolm X's birthday to you for you today here on KPFA here on Pacifica we're able to offer you these gifts as we mentioned they will hold you in great stead to learn to also help other people learn the history that you're not going to get in our school system you can get either the CD Malcolm X with uh, the debate that you heard with James Baldwin and LeVar McCollum's for a $60 premium. (laughs) Sorry, pledge. (laughs) And that's $5 as a sustainer. Our sustainer rate, or you could get the speech that you just, uh, the little bit that you just heard, the ballot or the bullet by Malcolm X for $60. So you can get both for $100, $100. If you join our sustainer program, it's $8.33. And $8.33 translates to just over $2 a week. $2 a week. I mean, think of this age where we pay for cable. We pay for our newspaper subscriptions. We pay for a lot of different media options in our lives. But KPFA is something that you can turn to day after day, month after month, year after year. We're here 24 hours a day, and we don't really require that you pay a dime, but it's for a reason that we ask you to pledge right now because it's what keeps us alive here. 1-800-439-5732. We'd like to continue to bring... Speeches like this from the Pacifica Radio Archives, what you've heard from Malcolm X this afternoon. We'd like to continue to bring you the different stories that we bring you here on Cover to Cover. We're not able to do that without your support. We are just about out of time. I mean, we have to go to Free Speech Radio News in just about a minute. 510-848-5732. We thank the two people that are on the line right now. But